This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Hi, everybody. It's Greg Meeklejohn, uh, co-founder of Enrollment Resources, and I'm here with uh, our illustrious panel, Steve Davis, uh, Channel Manager, Education with Philosophy, uh, Shane Sparks, my uh, partner, co-founder of Enrollment Resources, and Tom King, uh, who is um, Senior VP with Enrollment Resources in our admission software side of our business, and Scott Spitolnik, who is... Uh, uh, VP Business Development, but I don't believe he's quite on the call yet, but he'll be here at some point. So let's proceed, um, everybody. We're going to talk today about the whole magic around uh, creating an effective interview or visit uh, or tour. We've heard different names for this, and how to optimize that um, interview to sit ratio, how to make that interview so effective. Um, that, uh, you know, a high percentage of them actually start and become students. But do it in a, such a way that they're not, you know, being manipulated and it's all done in, in an ethical way. So that's our exploration for this talk. Um, you know, the, we've done many, many mystery shops, and our average of when there's an admissions rep um, that um, – get someone on the phone, 37% of the time the uh, rep does not ask that prospective student to come in for a tour. So 37% of the time. So Steve, that's like a massive flush of marketing resources, don't you think? I, I do, and it's almost, I, I totally believe the number because I know you do a lot of mystery shops and it's something you do very well. Uh, that's a coaching and training uh, scenario to me to make sure that that's happening. But it is, it's absolutely a lot of, a lot of lost revenue, a lot of lost enrollments. And there's got to be a better way to manage that and to ensure that admissions advisors are, you know, locking in that uh, appointment visit. And that's what we're going to talk about today, but uh, it's a high number, but it can be much better than that. And we're going to give tips on that today. Now, I'm sure everybody on the, yes, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to interject on that. What we've noticed over the years, and I think you, you know, you've had the same experience I have, Tom. Probably you have too. Is is often there's a desire to find like the latest next thing, right? What's the thing I should be doing? What's the next, you know? And technology drives that, and it's. But really, what we find most of the time is executing on existing things you already know you should be doing, but have either stopped doing them for whatever reason or forgotten usually is the quickest way to revenue growth. And this is a really good example of that. Like the solution of this problem, this first one, this 37% of the time we don't ask for a tour, is super easy. Ask for the damn tour, right? That's it. That's the yeah, and here's, here's the technology fix on that, is you have the DOA get a little, um, what are those stickies called? 3M notes or, you know, those little stats. Yeah, those sticky. Uh, Post-it. Yeah. Post-it, post-it notes. No, there's Scotty. Hey, yeah. Scott. So, uh, yeah, post-it notes. And then you write on the post-it note, ask for the tour 100% of the time, and then you stick the post-it note in the bottom corner of, I don't know, their computer monitor or their phone or something. Yeah. That's a low-tech solution 
to fixing that problem? Well, in another way, an illustrative way to, to maybe create context for this too is that it is easily 100 bucks in marketing money to, to generate that phone call. It's probably more. It's probably more like 200 And so every time you don't ask for the tour, you might as well have reached into the wallet of the school and burned a $100 bill, right? That's the effect of it. So um, I'm not advocating you deface currency, but that's the metaphor, right? Every time we fail to ask because we're pre-qualifying somebody or we don't like the feeling we're getting on the phone or whatever, the person's whatever the vibe's not exactly right, or whatever the reason someone doesn't ask for that tour, it's like burning a $100 bill. So if somebody, if collectively a small school is burning 100 of these events, um, say they're getting 300, having 300 phone calls and a third of the time they don't ask for the tour, that's 100 events times 200 bucks is $20,000 a month. That's a quarter million dollars a year of marketing resources that are flushed down the toilet. Well, I, I think that's the best case scenario is the irony yeah. of it. So you know, if you do it, I'm just going to do the math while we're talking. That's, that's just like the wasted marketing money, right? Yeah. So if you said, okay, those 100 in that example, that's 1,200 a year, right, that are, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't bother asking them. Mm-hmm. And the con- conversion rate of, I don't know, 5%. Let's conservatively go 10%. Okay, so it's 120 enrollments that mm. were flushed away because we didn't bother asking times, I don't 20. know, 120 20 grand. 20 grand. Yeah, so that's more like 2.4 million. Well, that's exactly oh. 2.4 million. Well, you know, that really makes my butt cheeks clench. I don't, um, I, 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 it may create sadness for me just thinking of those poor schools that are just, Letting all that leak out. Well, well Greg, I got a, a, sorry. Go ahead. Is, this is Steve. I just wanted to bring up a technology point that might help it a little bit here. And again, I we've talked about scripting technology. Uh, if you're using a guided script, I feel like there's an opportunity for for school executives and you know to coach down to their admissions representatives to make sure if they've got talking points in their script, that's the last one. It's the last bullet or last talking line in their script is. Ensure that you're asking for the appointment, get the appointment, ask for the appointment. If you put that in there, that would hopefully help remind the admissions representative to do that, but put it in your scripting. I just wanted to add that that point. Okay. So now over to Tom and Scott for a sec. So there's a big body of research that shows that um, if if you ask for a visit, ask for people to come in within 24 hours, versus leaving it like a kite without a tail, like come in in a week or something, that the conversion rates go way, way up. Um, Tom, you care to speak to that? Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback on, on Steve as well. I mean, it, it is, it's amazing how many schools I will talk to um, that we're generating great leads for them. And when I, the first thing I'll ask is, what is you know, do you guys have a script in place? Um, and I would say it's less than 50% have a, have a script in place. Uh, so if you don't give your people a track to run on, uh, it's pretty hard for them to, to run anywhere uh, when they have uh, no, no idea. So definitely make sure you have that script in place. And my studies kind of have found that anything after 24 hours 
I, th- I think the, the likelihood of the appointment showing drops by anywhere from 10 to 15% a day. So three days, if it's three days out, you're probably looking at a 60, maybe 70% chance that they'll show five, four days out, you know, maybe a 50% chance, anything past that, well under 50% chance. So uh, you're either setting the today appointment or the next day appointment in order to get them to, to show, and that should be built into your uh, to your script, which is an absolute must to have. Love it. That's good insight. So it's a, a show, it's a show rate killer by just uh, and and really, I guess Scott, what we're not talking about here is making them do it. It's the simple task of asking, "Hey, would you like to come in this afternoon or tomorrow?" and and asking. Am I right? Yeah. And Tom is spot on. You know, obviously the uh, same day, same day or next day appointment has a higher percentage of uh, showing. If somebody sets an appointment for a week, week and a half out with you, then that's a big red flag. I mean, it's just the, uh, it's just their way of putting you off. They're going to be a no show eighty percent of the time, and you're going to be chasing them again. So if somebody's setting an appointment for a week, week and a half out, that's uh, to me, that's always been a red flag that they're just putting you off once again, and they can't say no, so they're, you know, again putting it off. Um, so hey, I have a question. I have a question for the guys. It, it's, Tom, you'd mentioned scripts. Does, does that script, like script, implies a very rigid thing? Does it have to be a script, or could it be a, like a framework, which is more bullet points to follow? Like how how rigid do you have to be? Yeah. I, I, I really look at it as a, as a framework or a guideline. Um, some of the scripts can be specific verbiage that you want, but for the most part, it, it's, a, it's a process to follow where you're you know, evaluating program interest, the current situation, logistics, goals of the future. You know, and there's some bullet points in there. It doesn't have to be a, a rigid script. I mean, every, a lot of people in schools get really nervous of, well, I want my people to be, you know, real and personable. Well, they can still be real and personal, and but follow a plan. Uh, I mean, you, you need a roadmap to ride on, and I don't care if you've been a, a rep for, for 30 or 40 years or a rep for three to four days. Uh, you know, we all still need a, a, a plan to follow on. Things can go haywire. Um, you want to at least be able to fall back and make sure that you've covered all the bases uh, on, on what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, a, a guideline. It doesn't have to be an ultra rigid script, but it should there should be at least a roadmap there, um, and certain checkpoints along the way. That did you do this? Did you ask for the sale? Um, and the last thing I'll, I'll just throw out there real quick too is one of the biggest things that I I talk to schools about is that the purpose of the appointment setting phone call is to sell an appointment, not sell the school or the program. Uh, you're really there to to sell that appointment, and that is your main focus, not to give as much information as humanly possible out about the school and all your programs. Uh, you want to get that person excited enough to want to come in and learn more about the school. So you're there to sell the appointment. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, if I may, the, uh, you know, the guidelines, the phone dialogue, the guidelines are used strictly to maintain control. You know, the person asking the questions, is in control. If the prospective student starts asking questions about curriculum and hours, all of a sudden they're taking control of it. So the guideline or script, I'm not real big on rigid scripts, but the guidelines, GPS for admissions, it's critical to maintain control. Yeah, control is good. The, um, 
it's uh, it's interesting to me also. Um, We've taken our, our mystery shopping, and we have a question in there about length of call. And we've taken the length of call and cross-tabbed that against those that agreed to come in for a tour and found that that um, seven minutes and up, the, agree- the agreement level to come in for a tour was like a good 25% higher than the shorter, highly transactional calls. So inside that call, folks, what you want to do is – Make sure that you've got a few uh, questions that are all about them uh, that uh, get them talking about their situation, putting them in control, as I think Tom just alluded to, put them in control, allow them to be right, let them to flesh out and just listen and advance the questions like a good friend would at a coffee shop. And in doing so, with that little tactic, you can increase the show rates tremendously. Um, Tom, the other thing you can do is, uh, once they do agree to come in for a uh, a tour, is you just send them uh, what we're finding is text messaging is the best, hey? Uh, Yeah, that's uh, another great use of of texting, and probably the the best use of of texting, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, is to make sure that they've got maybe a 24-hour reminder and a two-hour-to-meeting reminder, uh, just a simple, a simple text. Uh, and if you combine that with a, an email at the original point of setting the appointment, uh, now you've got them with a, a, a good little appointment nurturing uh, program. Yeah, a yeah. C- couple hours before, hey, the coffee's hot, we've got cookies waiting for you. And then what will happen is if somebody is going to bail, They'll text back, and go, oh, sorry, I forgot. And then you have an active opportunity to rebook. Yeah, and even right. texting them directions to the school reinforces the appointment without, quote, confirming it. But I always found that was a good tactic, uh, emailing them directions to the school, uh, texting them directions to the school, or a link to MapQuest or something with the directions to the school. Cool. Okay, now here's another one uh, that I'm going to talk on you guys, and that is, you know, you get, call it two-thirds best practice, two-thirds say, I'll come in. One-third say, oh, just send me something to look at. Now, the reps go and um, mistakenly view that as a person who's just blowing them off. But that's not. That's an analytical person. That's a person in the analytical quadrant who is slow to buy and very thorough in analyzing information. And so... Um, for people that go, oh, they're just sloughing me off, that's a mistake. Those are people you need to be patient with and, and work in a pedantic manner. So the, how you do this is you go, I'm happy to send you a whole bunch of things to read. Um, no doubt you're going to have questions. So we we both hate phone tag. Let's uh, agree on a time three days out. And uh, if you have no questions, it'll be like a 10-second phone call. So that is a, like a, a reload question. And um, that is a tremendous way to get those analytical people reconnected. You have another shot with them on the phone. And you can create a whole bunch more meaningful conversations. So in, in summary, really, if people want information, you, you give that information out, but you need something back. It can't be a, a one-way street. It has to be relationship building is, a, a, as Shane says, a series of t- 
tiny little incremental trades. Shane, you want to talk about that? Give something, get something back? Yeah, well, it's... I, what, what were the stats? We had devised some stats on the chance of that reload working, and I and I can't recall what they are. Do you remember? Yeah, um, if when you get them back on the eighty percent, about eighty percent of the people that you agree to do the reload with um, actually show up, and of that, ten percent of those people come in like they turn into a, a sale, right? Right. Versus fifteen yeah. percent, call it so. But still good. Yeah, it's well, it's sure because you've spent the money to get them to get the lead to contact the lead. You got them on the phone, and and uh, as you said, you're you're dealing with typically a more analytical type oriented person who's slower to make decisions. This it's just I'm trying to find the right words. This is another example of refining tactics versus trying to create new tactics, right? Because if we respect that, hey, this person is a slower decision maker, and we don't create a judgment or a value judgment on that, and just accept them for how they are, and and are able to respond to their kind of set of needs, that in itself kind of builds trust over time, and it sets the right tone. And and heck, if we can book an extra couple appointments, because we said sure, we'll send you some stuff, and let's talk in three days, and and then use that as a way to re-engage, and we add another three, four, five appointments a week, it's more money. It's a ton of money. Right? And that, that of appointment money. setting, that's usually the biggest kind of blockage in the funnel anyway. Yeah. You know, so, that's the, uh, the, the equivalent of the slowest production line worker who's setting the pace for everybody else. Yeah, that's right. And so rather than having everything all get weird around that slow person on the assembly line, you have them on a parallel line moving things along as best they can, um, and then we're reworking that their work back into the main assembly line yeah. using a weirdo manufacturing analogy there, but, you know. <laughs> all right, let's, let's keep I appreciate you extending the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Let's see. Okay, Tom, uh, it's amazing to us how many uh, schools, they do not have a, a way in which they admissions, like a documentation process for the admissions reps to follow. Um, and it's also equally amazing to us that the, how do I say this, the requirement for people to follow the process is tied to their job description. In other words, if they fall, uh, if they don't, if they don't follow best practice, um, they are subject to uh, dismissal with cause. Do you want to? Exp that seems hard ass a bit, but do you want to expand on that? Well, it started on the thirty-five thousand foot view. I mean, admissions is a sales position. As much as lots of people want to call this a, a consultant, a motivational career speaker, you know, whatever, you can, you can call it anything. It's a sales position. And any good sales position in any industry, um, there's going to be a sales process that you follow uh, out there. And you've got to have, you know, in, in my opinion, I think if you have a, a good documented sales 
guideline or sales process that you follow. It doesn't have to be in an ultra-tight script, uh, but there has to be, a, again, just like the appointment setting phone call, that's basically a sales of an appointment. The interview is sales of the program or the school. There's still the qualification process, the needs assessment, the presentation, the closing, uh, all of that. Uh, you've got to have a defined process, and you really do need to hold uh, your people accountable for that, not only for the closing and ensuring the sales of your industry and your school uh, continue, but you also want to make sure that they follow those guidelines from a compliance standpoint. So uh, it keeps you out of uh, hot water and uh, leads to the inevitable conclusion, hopefully, of a sale to those that uh, are qualified. Scott, you're, um, you're also big on documentation uh, as it relates to admissions. You've done a lot of admissions training over the years. Uh, you want to build on what Tom's just uh, said there? Yeah, absolutely. Just like you need guidelines on the phone dialogue, it's even more important once that student comes in. You have to have a process. Every, you know, uh, we could argue every interview is different, but every interview, every appointment is the same when it comes, uh, when it comes to uh, the process. And there is a set process that needs to be followed. Otherwise, you, again, you lose control. Uh, the interview because, you know, goes haywire, but you have to lead the student down that path. Um, you know, open-ended questions, uh, getting to what their needs, what their wants are, their goals. So, yeah, even though everybody is different, I always maintain that the interview process is the same every single time. Answers are different, and you go off on some tangents because a good rep has to insert, them, uh, insert their personality into the interview process, but the process again is the same. It's and every rep has to have a GPS or a roadmap to follow that process. Uh, interesting, very interesting. So, hey, Greg. Okay, yes, Shane. You were just in California at a workshop, and there was a presentation by uh, the attorney yes. that was discussing sort of related to this, and basically the consequences of not having a button-down system. Can you share a little bit of the highlights of that? Yeah. The, um, basically, the folks, um, if you lie on your landing pages and if your admissions reps um, uh, are not tied to best practice, um, your admissions reps can come back uh, on a uh, wrongful dismissal suit. Um, so, in other words, if you let them go, uh, because there's no safe harbors, because you cannot uh, compensate them, you, you you can give them a bump once a year only. But if you let them go because they're they're not performing, they can sue you now for wrongful dismissal, which is you know, like a year's wages. Um, now, uh, if you have uh, in there in the clause that they will not disparage the school, they'll follow best practice as outlined initial here, sign here, um, th we know that best practice correlates strongly to performance. So if you cannot work with somebody on performance, you can work with them on applying best practice. And, and so, best practice in this example would be whatever your system is. Correct. It's different for everybody, but the, the key is, is that the reps need to um, 
follow the best practice. Now, sure. elevated or advanced schools that are split testing will give the reps the, the uh, green light to uh, come in and propose a way to improve the process and then test it. And then it's done in a controlled way. Uh, and if it works, then yay, it's good. If it doesn't work, then it's all controlled. And this way, it's not about external people suing. It, part of it is, is external people suing um, reps for lying and creating false expectations as it relates to the actuality of the program. That's one thing. The other thing is it prevents the school from being sued by the admissions rep, the lying admissions rep, um, for suing for wrongful dismissal. So it, it, it solves a couple problems. And um, so, yeah, that was the, the broad overview from Keith Zakarin, the lawyer. Yeah, and, and, and Keith's a pretty, um, uh, very smart and pretty tough dude. Very tough, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you don't want to Keith on the other end of a problem no, you're having. No, he's like, uh, if you don't follow best practice, get the hell out kind of guy. Um, yeah. Now, I want to talk about social media, and it's back to Shane's theme about back to the future, doing simple things well. Um, and so the microcosm of social media is what happens in the reception area when people come in for the tour. Um, you can have a social media campaign in your reception area in your school, and that can simply be a whole series of testimonial letters up on the wall. So the tip is to go and get rid of all the magazines and all the distractions and load your walls with testimonials from employers and students, have a piece of paper that they can read saying, here's 50 employers where students are working right now, and just create um, social proof around, you know, um, what a, what a great experience it's going to be attending the school. Yeah, exactly. Psychologically, these people have drummed up a ton of courage to come in and possibly put their life upside down for a couple of years and change their life. And it's like, oh, my God, why am I here? What, this is stupid and all this self-talk. And then they look in the wall and they see all these points of testimonial. And there's like 15 or 20, and it's overwhelming. And then they go, oh, okay, yeah. These guys, there's so many of these. Yeah, I've made the right choice. How that translates, say, Scott, is that um, people have, that have had that social proof experience in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the front room, in the reception area there, when they land in the admissions rep's office, they're feeling, instead of trepidation and cynicism and why am I here, they're actually they're leaning into the meeting right away. And that gives the admissions rep an extra 20 minutes of valuable time to do their good work. Uh, you want to touch on that? Yeah, I think it's important, the initial reception. I think the um, director of reception or, you know, schools have different names for the receptionist or the front desk personnel, but they're, they're the key person as far as I'm concerned. They're the first point of contact a prospective student has when they come into the school, and I always, when I'm training receptionists, and it's critical, I train them to treat people coming into the school as if they're coming into their home. What do you do? You offer them something to drink, a bottle of water. 
Uh, I always recommend keeping a, a mini fridge under the desk over there so they can offer a bottle of water to uh, uh, somebody coming in. It just makes them feel, feel welcome. It makes them feel good. Face the people. You've got 10 other schools in your market that are teaching the same, different, the same thing, the same programs. What tips the student? Well, it's the way they feel uh, when they first come into the school. It's got to feel right to them. And I've interviewed students and asked them, why did you choose this school? Because it felt right when I came in. And it's critical. I even recommend having a selfie station in the lobby. So, hey, people love to post things, so why not have a selfie station in the lobby where they can take a picture of themselves? What's the first thing they're going to do when they walk out of the school? They're going to post it to Facebook. Your name is going to get around to 200 of their friends, tagged 300 times, and it's a really, really inexpensive way to get your name out on social media. I, I also recommend when a student enrolls in school, putting a stethoscope around their neck, giving them a lab coat to put on, have your rep take their phone, take a picture of them in that garb, and what's the first thing they're going to do when they get out of the school? Boom, they're going to post a picture of themselves in their lab coat, stethoscope, and say, I'm going to ABC College, and all of a sudden, a 1,000 people see the uh, posting. I know I'm a little lengthy, but I'm passionate about that, about having a student feel good and their family feel good when they come into your school. And for a 20-cent bottle of water, that, that could be a $15,000 bottle of water for you. Boom. I love that idea, a selfie station. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I you love that. I haven't heard that one before. Selfie station. You know, you put a little sign on there with a wall with, you know, whatever you want to put up about the school and have a selfie station. Yeah, in the yeah. Pokemon well, craze, I recommend that the schools to uh, put a Pokemon station in their lobby. And it worked out really well. But a selfie, uh, selfie, uh, yeah, a selfie wall or whatever, selfie station works really well. Yeah. Or you get if uh, if you're Cosmos School, you uh, get one of those uh, dummies with the hair on them, and uh, you put some scissors on some people and uh, and a little uh, tunic and uh, do a selfie of them uh, working on some hair. There so. you go. Or, or your rep at the end takes a picture with their phone of them doing something, and, the, and immediately they go. I guarantee you, they'll post it as soon as they walk out of the school onto social media. So, so there's social media that emanates out of a. Uh, like a, what's interesting, it's a, it's a highly kinesthetic environment where you can spin all kinds of social proof, social media activity um, out of this little, little uh, five-minute highly kinesthetic interaction. Yeah, make an experience. Yeah, yeah. Now, it should be an experience, and I, I equate it to Disneyland. Yeah, I'm on the phone. I'm selling, you know, selling an appointment. I'm selling Disneyland. I want them to think that this is going to be the greatest, most fun experience that they're going to have this year. Cancel your family vacation. Just come down to the school, and uh, you know, and, and and have some have some fun with this. But see the social proof. See the, you know, see an environment you want to be in. I I hate going into a school and I walk in the lobby or the hallways and it's all these Ansel Adams pictures and white paint and. I mean that's boring. Make it exciting. Make it an experience for the school that they, that uh, student that they'll remember. Okay, I actually have a tip, Greg. Do you may? Do you mind? Yeah, fire away. Okay, so the, the way to it's kind of a, a fresh set of eyes exercise. And so what happens is, you know, as habitual creatures, we drive to work all the time. We, you know, we stop seeing all the things there's to see. 
So the challenge for everybody on the call tomorrow is while you're driving to work, try to experience your school as if it's the first time you've ever been there. So that means is the, you know, the signage clear from the highway or wherever you're coming in? Is it clear where you park? When you're walking up to the front door, is it clean and inviting or are there students out there smoking or cigarette butts on the ground? When you walk in the front doors, is it clear where to go? When you walk into the, you know, the facility, is the lobby inviting? Does the receptionist seem engaged? All those things. And, and mentally go through it as if you're a student and, and categorize, okay, what would I change that could make this a better experience for somebody? It's a really, it's a powerful exercise as a way to um, look at things with fresh eyes. Love it. Great idea. Okay, I'm going to turn this on its ear. Um, and, and, you know, you've got all these people competing uh, once they're in the interview, and they're, the natural, as, as Tom says, 35,000 feet up, it's sales. Now, the best, uh, the sales is viewed often as, you know, persuasion, you know, the humping of legs, uh, doing anything to get people. I think the term with a lot of these big chains has been asses in classes. Get those asses in classes. Get that intake full, blah, blah, blah. Now, the counterintuitive nature of sell selling, the good selling of a large ticket intangible item is to suspend the flag-waving wa promotional behavior and to have a very important pre-step in the beginning of the visit, and that is to have an objective, bloody-minded exchange to make sure that, in fact, these people qualify to be a part of that school experience. Um, and what will happen is, in doing so, in, in what they call qualifying hard and or walking away, is you, you know, marketing should, should and and the first point of contact should, to a degree, help to somewhat qualify these people. But you want to make sure that these people are really, really, you know, dialed in and 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 how you do it is you you're explicit. So. Everyone has sales prejudice coming into some kind of a situation like this. And the way you eliminate sales prejudice is you set the agenda. And this is how you do it. You go, hi, good to have you. I'm role-playing now, by the way. So, um, hey, thanks for coming in. This is my agenda. Uh, I want to go through and make sure that this career you're considering is, in fact, the right fit for you. I want to make sure that the logistics of your life are such that you're ready to go back to school. Um, if that's the case, then what I'm going to do is take you around and show you our school, and maybe you can sit in on a class or what have you. And um, that's when I'll, I'll be really excited to support you. But I can't go there. I have to stay objective until we absolutely make sure this is a good fit. Does that work for you? So what that does... I'm out of the role play now. What that does is it moves that admissions rep from being deemed to be a salesperson to being uh, deemed to be a trusted advisor. And when one is deemed to be a trusted advisor, uh, lots of things work. Tom, do you want to build on that? I know you're a big fan of this. Uh, I am. I think you said you said most of it right there. Uh, re sales. Um, and success in, I think, the school industry is built on trust. And 
starting with that opening statement, as you, as you mentioned, as to why we're here and what we're looking to accomplish, you know, we're looking to see if um, our school is right for you and if you are right for our school and a series of explorations uh, that we're going to go through together and setting yourself up as a trusted advisor um, that's here to help that individual along the process uh, you know, really, really sets the tone at the beginning that uh, you're not just here trying to sell them a product that they may or may not need. We, we need to discover to see if this is right for you. Uh, and the sales process really is identifying their needs and delivering a product that may suit their needs if indeed we have that product. Amen. Uh, Steve, do you care to answer or, or build on what Tom just said? You know, I... I couldn't agree more with both yourself, Greg, and Tom. I mean, you are in a process where it needs to be about the student. It is never about the school out of the gate. You want to create a comfort and a confidence that you are there to serve their needs in their life. You're asking pertinent questions about why they, how, the spot that they're in today, where do they want to get, how do they plan to get there, you know, what kind of transportation are you going to have to be able to get to school? Is everything lining up for you? What kind of support do you have? You're, you're wanting to create a comfortable world for them uh, about them, where, where they're trying to go, and as a trusted advisor, you get them there by building that confidence, but it's asking questions. It's keeping all the fluff about the school and the university to the, keep it in the background. You bring that up after you've, you know, kind of evaluated the current state of that, the life of that person. Then you can, you can kind of weave in the story about the school and how you help change lives. But you definitely hold that back and you don't start with it. And I see too many people in, in sales focus on them, 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 their story, their, 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 uh, their school, and not enough about the student. And that creates, creates things off on the wrong path. There we hey, go. Greg. Yeah. So I, I think um, maybe the spin selling is a good model for what uh, Steve's describing here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Spin selling is basically, in broad terms, uh, talking about this, uh, the, the pain of the prospective student as to where they are in their life uh, and that what life might be like if they continued working at McDonald's or living in their mom's basement for the, the next year and get them to articulate it and communicate it. Uh, and then from that position of clarity, then one can better match solutions for a person. It's really the big part of spin selling is to go and have people articulate their pain and frustration. Yeah. And then in and, doing and, so, and, yeah, go ahead. In the implication of the pain, I'm just trying to remember what the acronym stands for. What's it? Situation, pain, implication, need? Is that? It's you, actually yes. a situation, I think it's situation, problem, implication, and then uh, need payoff. Great. Yeah, and so what? So if you're, those that don't know on the call, spin selling was a, um, it's a it's a sales methodology that came out of literally tens of thousands of, of of audits of tens of thousands of sales calls in lots of different industries, and it Neil identified Rackham. the Neil behaviors. Rackham. I got the book right in front of me. Yeah, yeah. the behaviors of the successful ten percent through twenty percent, and what they found was those that dug deeper, so hey, what's your situation? I'm working at uh, McDonald's. I'm happy. Great. Our program, you know, the people that launch into the pitch after the situation don't do well. The people that 
hey, what's the, you know, the pain or the, the problem? Oh, well, I don't like, you know, I'm not making enough money. Great. They pitch, launch into the pitch, don't do well. But the ones that say, okay, well, why is that a problem? Why is living in your mom's basement a problem? Or why is this lack of money a problem? Or why is the lack because of respect or the lack of, what, of advancement or whatever? And really dig into the implication around it and what that means in both concrete terms and emotional terms. Those are the ones that, that win. So to, to build on that, when people, are, when people articulate a feeling, it creates like turbocharged power and just articulating that being overt about what is in invert for instance um you know i was falling in love with my wife back in the day i still do love her of course and then but there's that point where i think i'm in my head i'm thinking okay i really love this gal and all that but you know from a guy's perspective the moment you utter those words, you're done, right? And (laughs) you're in a vulnerable spot and basically, you know, you're screwed, right? So, and I remember, you know, she uttered the words first and then I knew I had basically a two-second window to respond. And if I waited any longer, I'm done. And if I said nothing, I was done. And I just remember choking out those words, "I, I love you too, and... We joke about it to this day, but uh, when I articulated the the L word there, um, then actually all these loving feelings gushed out. It was like a little dam burst. And conversely, when somebody can say, man, I met this wonderful gal and she learned that I was living in my mom's basement and she gassed me and I'm so upset and oh my God, and I have this horrible, I have an Astra, a 1974 Astra and nobody will go out with me cause, unless they have a bag on their head and, you know, it's horrible. And then it's like, well, dude, you've got to become a mechanic and, you know, get the truck and then you'll get the girlfriend. You can get rid of the Astra move out of your mom's basement. And so, anyway, that's a bad analogy, but you take my point. That's why I like it. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Tom, you're old enough to remember Astra's. (laughs) I'm not going to comment, but yes. (laughs) Okay, so so we're almost done. We have one more tip here to share, and that is um, based on some research that's very interesting, and that is um, once a student... Um, is it called a pre-start council. So they apply, they're accepted, and then they, a percentage of these guys just don't go to school, right? 10, 20%, sometimes more. And uh, in the public side, it's horrible. Like 70%, 80% of people who are accepted don't end up going to school, pre-start council. And so um, it's, a, it's something that can be buttoned down. Here's what happens is, when an admissions, the, the ten admission, the ten competitors that were alluded to earlier, when uh, a prospective student gets uh, accepted to go to, into a program at one of those ten schools, what do the other nine admissions reps do, Tom? Do they just give up and skulk away, or do they do something else? Uh, yeah, I mean, they get, it, it, they get excited. Yeah, it requires a lot of additional management and self, uh, you know, self-evaluation on that. Yeah, like here's a person who's been qualified by a competitor. I'm going after them. And that extends in the research that we've done on pre-stirk cancels. It's like up to 20% of people, the reason 
they don't start at the school is they switch to another school. And so we don't want that to happen. And so, Shane, let's lean on you here for a little bit, and, and with Steve as well, about they've accepted, they've, been, they've applied, they've been accepted, there's a gap between first day of class. So what are a couple of things that a school can do to help ensure that, and Tom, you can dive in, and all of you guys, Scott, how do we keep them from bailing on us here? Yeah. Shane, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Steve, and then Tom, and then Scott. Great. Uh, partly it depends how much time is, how big that gap is. If it's a couple of weeks, then a couple of phone calls are just, you know, hey, confirming, we're excited, you know, just keeping someone enthused is fine. If it's longer, then things like, you know, book pre-assessments or book, hey, we're doing a, you know, a pre-school half-day workshop on, I don't know, study habits or stuff, like getting them doing things to stay engaged with that school and build excitement can help. Cool. Um, yeah, those would be two I would think of off the top of my head. Great. Yeah, Great. and I'm saying you've got to have a, you've got to have a post or a, a post contact, but haven't enrolled contact strategy, if you will, and it's, that's locked in and concrete to get them to go from app to enroll and enroll to start. There's got to be a process there. You need to define it. You need to define it in your system and, you know, as much as possible, automate things so that emails are going out, text messages are going out, you're sending a map, you're sending a piece of information if it's a couple of weeks out, and you're, you're timing it so that on day two before that appointment, you know, they're supposed to be in. Uh, you've got a bit of information about the program going out to tie, tie up a gap. It's just one of those things where you've got to make sure you have a de designated approach and it's automated and it's locked in for every rep to follow, you know, for whatever that period is, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. That, that's my take. So, uh, I'll, I'll pay you back on that real briefly. Uh, a lot of schools spend money on leads and lead nurturing but they don't spend money on enrollment nurturing. And you've already spent all the money to get the lead, all the time and the effort, and then you enroll them, and then they just sit there and you hope they're going to start. And I agree with Steve 100%. You need to have an automated, I call it uh, retention nurturing, but, uh, you know, or enrollment, enrollment retention. And uh, that's where you, you've got to have a series of automated steps to keep those students engaged. Uh, schools that are recruiting out of the high school market, boy, those students could be enrolling in the fall in a couple of weeks here, and they won't start until next fall. So you've got to hold on to them for a year. So you've got to have a, a really good nurturing campaign of letters, texts, phone calls, emails, and all, any kind of other support documents you have. You've got That's where your social media really kicks in. You've got to have a Facebook page that shows all the things they're going to be doing and keep that enthusiasm high for sometimes upwards of uh, a year in some cases uh, for students. So that is a, a key, and I would recommend about 20% of your entire marketing budget probably needs to be devoted to uh, uh, enrollment retention. That is um, enrollment retention is going to be actually next Wednesday, Tom. That's a perfect segue. Uh, we're going to talk about retention and uh, career services. Um, all right, so Scott, we'll finish with you. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, what Tom and Steve said is spot on. You have to have, you know, all schools have to have some type of, uh, you know, trigger points for letters to go out, whether it's a welcoming letter from the president, welcoming letter from the dean, financial aid, and also stuff going out from the reps, whether it's different articles. It has to be pretty uniform, though, because you don't want gunslingers out there just sending all kinds of stuff out there. But an article about medical, you know, the medical field, you know, jobs increasing in the medical field by 30% over the, but every week or every, yeah, every week or so, and maybe twice a week, something should go out to the student to uh, do what I call prime, keeping the uh, pump primed. You really, really have to uh, have the student engaged. Internally, I think it's critical for uh, admissions, the admissions director, director to get together with each rep on a status meeting every Friday or every Monday to go student by student to find out when the last contact was, if there's any red flags with the student. And financial aid needs to be a part of that status meeting as well so everybody can compare notes. Uh, That's critical. Uh, It's critical to keep the student engaged, but it's also critical to inspect each and every student from a rep and financial aid uh, standpoint as well. So more structure, make it thorough. Do keep it simple but thorough. Uh, do more with more simplicity, but to do a better job of it. Love it. All right, um, folks. I think uh, this is perfect timing to see, to see if anybody would like to uh, ask a question. So, folks uh, who are listening. Um, there's some smart smart guys here that are happy to answer any questions that you might have. And before we hang up, um, if you just want to press star six and ask your question, uh, we'll just pile on in and try to give you some information that is specific to your school. So, uh, And if we don't hear from anybody here, then we'll just uh, call it a day, and um, and we'll see you all next week. So does anybody have... Any uh, any questions? Just star six. We'll just give that a couple seconds. No. Okay. So this week uh, we're not seeing any questions. Last week we had some. Year before or a week before we had a lot. Um, folks, we're just going to uh, say goodbye then, and we will see you all uh, this time next week. We'll be sending out reminders uh, early next week. So thanks, panelists, and uh, have a great day, everybody. Take care, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.